are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Wednesday edition of On the Line. Lance, how you doing today? Trying to make it happen, Noah. How are you doing? I just found out some really bad news. Yeah, and I saw your reaction, and I don't blame you at all. I'm irate. Intern Belichick, terrible namesake now, by the way. (laughs) Intern Belichick just let me know that the New England Patriots-Miami Dolphins football game this Sunday is on television over the Cleveland Browns-Kansas City Chiefs football game in the state of Alabama because, you know, it's all based on regional coverage. Mm -hmm. So the entire coverage map is all red for Cleveland-Kansas City, like, 95% of the country will be watching Cleveland, Kansas City. Not me. Not me. You know why? Because Matt Jones got named the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Did they do this for Cam Newton? No. (sighs) Unbelievable. I don't believe. I, I I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. As a as a uh, as a new Cleveland Brown fan myself, I don't blame you. There's no way for me to watch this now unless I go to a. A restaurant that's carrying all the ball games and whatnot, but I was having to pre-record it anyway, and now I can't pre-record it because it's not on a local station. Zach just texted you and I and said, "Lol, I'll still be able to watch my team." (laughs) That's totally pertinent to the show, though, because Auburn fans listening, Bama bias has trickled into the NFL. (laughs) It's everywhere now. Yeah. Well, if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Hope your day is going a little bit better than how my day just had a massive drop. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dog Pound. Wednesday edition of On the Line. We've got a lot of things planned out for you guys today. We'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports coming up at 2.30 p.m. to talk to us about the Alabama Crimson Tide's performance against Miami and then moving forward into week two as they take on Mercer this Saturday as well as we've also put together our own top 25 poll here on the show called the On the Line Top 25 poll. We will give you our rankings for this week, a collective. We all put in our rankings, averaged out the points, and then, you know, Lance has Notre Dame at 15, and I'll ride with it. (laughs) Hey, hey, look, this is actually, while I was doing this, I was going through the top 25, and I was genuinely asking myself, could could this beat team beat this team right now on a neutral site? Just kind of grading the best teams in America. And I ended up having Notre Dame at 15. Now, could I put them somewhere between 12 and 15? I think, sure. But I ended, I ended up at 15. That's all fun and games. We'll get to that later. And we'll also play in on the fence or out now that we've got a week of the football season underway. Taking a look at some of these teams. Are we out on anybody yet? Are we in on some teams? What do we think after the first weekend of football games it's time to overreact but 
We'll start off the show today with Report Wednesday, as we do now every Wednesday during the football season. We're giving a scouting report on Auburn's upcoming opponent, and this week it happens to be FCS foe Alabama State. Lance, what do we know about Alabama State from a schematic standpoint? What can Auburn fans expect this Saturday at 11 a.m.? Well, they're going to expect a better matchup than what we saw against Akron. I almost feel like Alabama State, after looking at some of their numbers over the so- summer, you and I got to grade the, them by their position groups. They almost feel like they could play and compete with a team like Akron. It's not. I'm not saying like, oh, Auburn's in for a good game. It's just that I think Auburn's facing a very similar opponent schematically. You know, I think they're a very they're they're a very basic offense. It, it feels like they didn't they weren't able to do a whole lot of different things in such a small sample size last season. I believe they only played like what six or seven games. Played last six year. games. Yes, uh, six or seven. Yeah, six games last season. And their quarterback Ryan Nettles wasn't overly impressive, but he wasn't bad. Their running game, Ezra Gray, he's a pretty solid running back. Um, I think, if anything, they're going to try and do what I thought Akron was going to do, which is try and run the ball early. Akron obviously wasn't able to do that, finished with negative yards rushing, and who knows, they may open the passing attack up late in the game, like in the Akron game, and try and get some completions going against Auburn's backup. So, yeah, I would expect Akron, or Alabama State, rather, I don't think they're too complex. I think they'll try and do, again, run the ball and maybe see if the passing game opens up off of that. They were pretty balanced in their season opener against Miles College, who they beat 14-13. to That's not a great indicator for Alabama State going into this football game, especially considering Alabama State was a SWAT contender last year. I'm not going to call them a SWAT contender this year, but if they had beaten Alabama A&M at the end of this past spring season, they win the SWAC, and that's not a place that Alabama State's used to playing in over the last couple of seasons. You look at the run-pass breakdown for this team against Miles College last week, pretty balanced, 32 rush attempts to 30 pass attempts, 20 for 30 last week through the air, averaging 6.5 yards per attempt, no touchdowns through the air, only 197 passing yards on the ground last week averaged 3.8 yards per carry considering Akron had minus three rush yards I don't think Auburn's going to do that again that's so very difficult to do but considering Auburn held Akron another team that likes to focus on running the football has a dual threat quarterback in Cato Nelson prided itself on having a decent rushing attack in the MAC last year of course they lost Tion Dollard earlier in the week before they came to play Auburn but considering Auburn held Akron to minus three rush yards at Alabama State against another Division two. I don't even think Miles College is FCS. I think they're Division two. Considering Alabama State was held to three point eight yards per carry, uh, I think you're looking at a slaughter in the rushing attack. Yeah, I don't think their offense is going to be able to do uh, a whole lot uh, in, in not, nothing particularly special. Although I will say this, I don't know if Miles College, if they're just triple option, I would assume based on looking at their numbers, forty four rushing attempts, to only nine passing attempts. Uh, but only 35 yards passing from Miles College. And I will say, even though it, it looks like they played a triple option team, Alabama State had the pe- uh, best passing defense in the SWAC last season. So uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that means anything for this game, but for, for Alabama State, defensively, I think they're a little bit better on that side of the ball than they are offensively. Let's get into strengths and weaknesses. We just talked about what these guys are going to try to do schematically. It's a spread team for Alabama State dual threat quarterback you talked about Ryan Nettles breakdown strengths for Alabama State on the offensive side of the football what do they do well that maybe 
could potentially cause an issue for Auburn. Yeah, again, like you said, I think it's going to be that running game. I think they're going to try and establish that. Ryan Nettles, like you said, dual threat guy, 6'4", 200 pounds, really good size. Last season completed 59% of his passes for 917 yards and eight touchdowns. Ezra Gray, like I mentioned, almost 500 yards rushing in six games last season, 84 carries, five touchdowns. Obviously, there's not a whole lot to glean from this first game against Miles College. I mean, offensively, like you said, they were pretty balanced. 32 rushing attempts, 30 passing attempts. I would say that the running game is probably the strength of this offense. I don't know if I trust Alabama State to throw the football. They've got some really uh, young receivers. They returned their top four receivers right from last season, but most of them were, were pretty young, and not, none of them had, uh, had broken 300 yards receiving. I just don't think I think the weakness of of this offense is just the offense I just don't think it's a great offense but strengths uh, I think it's the running game it's very Akron-esque right struggles to throw the football they're gonna hammer the rushing attack if anything that's what they do well if you're naming something that this offense does well at the FCS level last week Ezra Gray had 84 excuse me he had 84 yards game but he lost 17 so he netted out at 67 yards last week on 10 attempts averaging 6.7 yards per carry Ryan Nettles averaged 4.7 yards per carry on 42 rush yards last week of course backup running back Ja'Cory Merritt had a tough day 1.8 yards per carry so the guy to watch out for on the offensive side of the ball at least in the rushing attack I think you're looking at Ezra Gray and then every once in a while Ryan Nettles will keep it you mentioned the wide receivers Jeremiah Hickson for the Alabama State Hornets he was the standout receiver against Miles College 92 yards on eight receptions but nobody was really stretching the field for Alabama State either the longest reception for them or the longest reception for them last week was 27 yards but the largest average for an Alabama State receiver last week was 15 everybody else was hovering around 11 11 and a half so not really stretching the field a whole lot when you're talking about the Alabama State passing a game yeah, and when you you think about like, well, what's it take to have a really good passing game where you can throw the ball downfield? Well, you've got to have an offensive line that gives you time to in blocks for you, right? And it's a young O line it's at a, that. It's a very young O line. I think they're like all freshmen. Yeah, last season they started four freshmen. This season, four of them sophomores. They allowed 1.8 sacks per game last year. Uh, I, this this group, this offense, uh, a, a lot of their key key players are are young or incredibly young, so. and they're in skill positions. And, I think you would say right. I would think that uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Moving on to the defensive side of the football, you said that this was one of the best pass defenses in the SWAC. Of course, I think Auburn's receivers showed a lot of quality in the football game against Akron this past weekend. Ought to be able to show out against Akron State as well, or Alabama State, not Akron State, Alabama State as well. What are you expecting to see from this defense? What's a strength? What's a weakness? Well, I think the strength of this defense, if I had to choose a specific unit, I think it is those defensive backs. Again, like I mentioned, best passing defense in the SWAC last season only gave up 35 yards passing to uh, to Miles College this week. Uh, but you look up and down this this defense, though. Their defensive line was pretty good last year. Um, you look at what Miles College was doing uh, running the ball they uh, only averaged 3.9 yards per carry, and that's a triple option team. I mean, if you're running the ball every single play and you're only averaging 3.9 yards per carry, I'd say if you, you're doing something successfully. Uh, the defensive line is not half bad. The linebackers, they have one guy in Colton Adams who had 18 tackles in three games last season. You look at this game, Christian Clark uh, had 10 total tackles for them. Uh, so I think they fly around on the defensive side of the ball against competition that's very similar to them. Uh, this defense 
in, in terms of like where Alabama State is playing, like I just said, I think it's good. But against a team like Auburn, I don't know if they're going to be able to do a whole lot. Will they be able to stop the run? I don't think so. Are they going to be able to stop Bo Nix and these SEC talented SEC caliber receivers? I don't think so. That's what makes doing a scouting report on Alabama State so difficult and comparing them to Auburn is that this is clearly not a great FCS team this isn't Northern Iowa this isn't Jacksonville State I don't think that they're really going to be able to put anything on the football field to challenge Auburn I think maybe if Auburn has a hard time going back to the Alabama State offense and we're just trying to pick something out that maybe could challenge Auburn in this ball game I thought watching Cato Nelson get outside the pocket, of course, Auburn didn't let him break off any runs or anything like that, but he did find times throughout the ball game to get out of the pocket and get out on the edge. This is an athletic backfield, Nettles and then Gray at running back. You've got two guys that now you have to worry about in the backfield. I, I, I think containment maybe is something that maybe you could look at, but it really Auburn's not going to get challenged at all in this ball game no I don't think they're going to be pushed around at all and at the end of the day um you you talk about something that you and I were talking about Noah heading into the Akron game it's like well will Auburn be able to shut out Akron and on paper it looked like yes very much so I think Auburn's in a similar place here where you're looking at this team up and down it's like well they do certain things well like within their own within the swack they play well it's just against competition like auburn i don't know if they're going to be able to actually implement some things that they want to and so and I sometimes think- you can find on fcs football teams like a jacksonville state or a northern iowa or a south dakota state or a north dakota state teams of real quality that are going to be competing for something at the end of the year at the fcs playoffs you can go and find things with those teams that could challenge in Auburn they may do one thing exceptionally well that could be a problem for Auburn or or maybe they're exceptionally coached there 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 could be a factor that that FCS team brings to the table that could create issues that's not the case here with Alabama State I don't think especially after how we saw Auburn play against Akron this past weekend my last question to you before we move on from report Wednesday on Alabama State do you think Auburn is going to not that Auburn's going to overlook them I don't think that that's going to be a problem but how much do you think Auburn's going to be working on Penn State this week I think they're going to be I think they're going to be working on Penn State just a little bit you look at this game I I, I wonder if they're going to try and be like you and I were talking about Noah in terms of like you see the things like the reverses and the play action and stuff are they going to try and do similar things against Alabama State to even more so prepare themselves for Penn State are they going to show flashes of what they may try and implement against Penn State in this game just to kind of prepare for it building off of what they did in the Akron game whether it's adding an extra action to some of the things that we saw in the first game like off of the reverse play I mentioned that it's like Gus Malzahn would have not put a reverse on film in week one against Akron he wouldn't have done that he would have waited till midseason but I think that this coaching staff and we talked with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer yesterday about this I think they did things that were a part of the base offense I think they tried to be multiple put a lot of things on film that down the line and I think they're going to continue to do this against Alabama State and continue to flesh out the offense to where you're going to see some new things against Alabama State that maybe you didn't see against Akron that is building off of what they did in the first game and maybe it's some things that are completely new that is being thrown on the canvas for when Penn State sits down to watch film on Auburn they can't create tendencies with this Auburn offense right and it's a shame that Auburn can't simulate more 
of what what's going to happen in the Penn State game, both from a talent standpoint, like who they're playing, and then I think like just an atmosphere standpoint, right? You can't you can't simulate that wideout. Although I will say, do you believe that the reason Auburn played their wideout in Week One is so that they could prepare for the wideout two weeks later, just to kind of get to get used to the the feel of that, maybe? Or do you think that was just a just a random thing? I think that was just a random thing. I don't know how much your own crowd wearing all white. I don't know how much that helps you. The the noise and the vivacity of the environment in Happy Valley Happy Valley is what I think could really end up being the problem. Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's like it's really difficult to simulate that and it's really difficult to simulate playing that talent. So for for Auburn, I think they are going to try and practice some stuff, but at the end of the day, they're going to be able to implement, I think, whatever they want to against Alabama State. Would you rather be playing Penn State this week or next week? Because hmm. I, would... I asked you this back during the offseason, and you and I had the opinion that we would like to play them in week two or maybe have a slightly better, like have Georgia State in week two rather than have Alabama State in week two because you want to see Auburn at least possibly be challenged a little bit now Georgia State's not a great football team but they're going to be a good team in the Sun Belt they could at least maybe do a couple things that could give you some film to know what you need to work on going into the Penn State game or do you like the fact that Auburn's had the extra week of fall camp essentially and another scrimmage that they can just continue to work on themselves and focus on Penn State a little bit longer than maybe they would have been able to. I'd like to get one more game in where Auburn could focus on the passing game a little bit because while it was efficient and everything was going well, I'd like to see Nick's kind of kind of put himself in a position to really work on his accuracy. Auburn's going to need all the reps they can get before this Penn State game, so I think having this scrimmage is beneficial at least in the at the moment after seeing what happened in week 1. If I was having to choose between Penn State in week 2 and Alabama State in week 3, I would choose the option that you just said. But if I had the opportunity to move this schedule around any bit, like I just said a moment ago, I think I would rather have a Georgia State in week two. I would like to see at least some type of challenge without actually a massive challenge being thrown at you. Like no fear of loss, right? And no fear of it being an actual close game or a struggle bus from start to finish. But just at least the element that the other team could do some things that could put stuff on film for you to be like, oh, we need to work on that before we go and play Penn State. My fear is that you get to the Penn State game and you don't know what you're really bad at. Mm -hmm. But then again, the benefit of this is the Auburn offense practices against the Auburn defense all throughout fall camp, all throughout practice. So the Auburn offense probably isn't the side of the ball that you're like, yeah, we don't know what we're not good at. They know what they're not good at. The defense is the side of the ball that I think they don't know what they're not good at. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's good to have those reps to try and figure out what, even against a team like Alabama State, I agree with you, I think Georgia State would be a better opponent to try this with, but it's good to have those opponents to kind of figure out what you're good at and what you're not good at. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, I want your thoughts on where, you know, I just asked you the question, it's like, we don't know what Auburn's defense is is not so great at, 
So I'm going to ask you that question when we come back. Where could Auburn, maybe where's an area that Auburn isn't that good on defense and we just don't know about it yet. Try and get some thoughts on that as well as play in on the fence or out. We want to hear from you. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. The question stands for you all as well. Where do you think this football team might need to improve on on the defensive side of the ball that we just don't know about yet? You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Just posed this question to Lance. We had a break to think about it. Same question to you all. What area on defense for Auburn could this group need to improve on we just don't know it yet because of the level of competition that they're playing against and maybe the team from practicing against you know a power five offense and Auburn's offense during practice and whatnot maybe they do know some of that from practice but playing other teams like Akron and Alabama State doesn't help you learn a whole lot about where you need to get better right and I would say if there's one area that was not not a glaring weakness on Saturday, but it was something that was like, oh, well, that's not necessarily good. Is I think it was tackling from that secondary, right? Some pursuit angles were not where some some guys were were taking angles that they just should not have been taking. I'm looking specifically at Road Torrance being out of position a couple times by Darius Knight and out of position on that touchdown. Uh, that that uh, the backup quarterback for Akron threw. Look, I mean, you can't let a backup quarterback on one of the worst teams in FBS come in and go 13 of 13, even with your backups in. You got to be able to keep your foot on the gas, and you got to be able to go out there and at least force a couple of incompletions and not let that that unit be so efficient. I think an area that Auburn could be bad, and we we just don't know it yet because Akron didn't really take shots down the field or really take take any shots with their first team at all against Auburn's first team is is defending the intermediate and long passing game it was something that Auburn kind of struggled in every now and then last season you would see Smoke Monday or Ladarius Tennyson in a busted coverage what does Auburn look like whenever teams want to throw the long ball on them we just we just didn't see it against Akron and for Auburn to allow their backup to go 13 of 13 gives me concerns like okay is Penn State going to be able to dink and dunk and then take a shot to Dotson on us you look at NFL defenses, and I think you're going to see some of this with Auburn. There's the cover three scheme, and yep. it's designed to make opposing squads nickel and dime you up and down the field. It's designed for high completion percentages, but holding opposing quarterbacks to minimal yards per completions, right? Not allowing the top to be blown off of you. And as long as Auburn prevents the deep, vault, the deep ball from crashing down upon their heads, I think this defense is going to be very good because the defense is talented at every level and if you are making a team have to run more plays if you are driving the yards per play down for an opposing team there are more plays which means there are more opportunities for that offense to make mistakes more opportunities for your defense to make big plays that's kind of the basis of the cover three defense is that the longer that it takes for you to go eventually the offense will make a mistake right and so that's kind of the philosophy that I think this defense is bringing to its passing defense as opposed to maybe the previous coaching staff that ran a lot of man-to-man coverage. Of course, you still have good man-to-man corners out on the outside with Roger McCreary and Nehemiah Pritchett. And I wonder if the backup secondary that we saw on Saturday against Akron struggled because maybe they weren't that good at this cover three scheme which is going to require you to make tackles quickly after a reception is made which 
these guys that you named, Roe, Torrance, Bidarius Knight, and did struggle to do that. They did, yeah. And something else that I will say, though, to kind of like play, I guess, play devil devil's advocate here for a second. How often are we going to see those backup guys in against a team like Penn State, right? Hardly ever. But the question still stands. The first team for Akron didn't take shots against Auburn. Like, we just didn't get to see what Auburn looks like whenever a team wants to throw the ball downfield. Because they couldn't pass protect. Right. Penn State is going to try and do that, do, do that. Now, can Penn State pass protect? Not very well, but better than Akron can. So, so that brings me to my next point. Of course, Auburn totaled up, trying to count this up right here, Auburn totaled up six sacks against Akron across five different players there was a pass rush getting to Cato Nelson a lot of it was bull rush just general power up front pushing those offensive linemen back I'm still curious about this group when you're playing against a power five quarterback even Sean Clifford it may look a lot like Bo Nix from last year he may make a lot of questionable decisions but he knows to get the ball out of his hand within three seconds he knows to get the ball out quickly right and there is an elevated level of play at that offensive line and at the quarterback position and at the wide receivers inside the Penn State passing offense as opposed to Akron's offense I'm curious where this pass rush is at from a speed standpoint versus where it was at last year because they had a really hard time getting home they got home against Akron and they did it a lot Penn State's the game where I'm like and for the sake of the segment I asked the question where is an area that Auburn might need to improve on on defense we just don't know it yet I'm still kind of on the fence with the pass rush not that they didn't perform on Saturday they did I just want to see them do it against a good offensive line or a good football team that is and I think Penn State qualifies into the area of a good football team they're a power five program that recruits really well I want to see if their speed can get home against Sean Clifford in two weeks right because as you mentioned last season it didn't very not 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 very often it pretty much the only power five team that I got home against last year was LSU yeah so looking at these guys TD Moultrie obviously had a great uh game against Akron or or guys like him and Derek Hall and Akuliota are they going to be able to get in the mixer and they are going are they actually going to be able to use their speed to get around the edge and get home to Sean Clifford Sean Clifford's not the most mobile quarterback on the planet but I would like to be able to contain him and and force him to stay in that pocket that speed's going to have to get there though in order for that to happen uh I agree with you I think that's definitely something that I would like to see happen we just ha- we obviously like you said we saw it against Akron but we just haven't seen it against a legitimate opponent the run stopping was so dominant to hold Akron to minus three rush yards and they were filling gaps they performed that three four scheme where your guys up front are to hold the point of attack not allow those holes to really open up don't get pushed back and allow your linebackers to get downhill and make stops in those holes they did that so well on Saturday I'm really not concerned at all whereas last year at times Auburn did struggle to stop the run I actually think that that's legit it was so dominant I think that is a legit run stop run run stopping game for Auburn it's going to force Penn State into a lot of throwing situations yeah they can't run block either they had a really hard time against Wisconsin let's take a quick break here when we come back we got Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net joining us to talk a little bit about the Alabama Crimson Tide
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Headed to our phone lines now. We got Jeremy Law of the Radio Alabama Sports Network. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? Happy Wednesday, guys. Glad to be on the show. Hope you all are doing well on the planes. We're doing excellent. Of course, we got to get into Alabama Crimson Tide football we meant to have you on the show yesterday. I know things got pretty busy out there, so I want your thoughts now. We may be several days re- removed from Alabama's dominant victory over Miami, but I'm sure it still stands pretty fresh how good that Crimson Tide team looked. Out of everybody in college football, they actually looked like they were already in midseason form. Yeah, guys, sorry about yesterday. I was playing golf at Farm Links, and the <laughs> phone was on silent. I, I, uh, I was planning on answering. It was just on silent, but I tell you, Alabama looked like Alabama. Um, year in and year out, Alabama comes into these games, and for some reason we all ask ourselves, is, is this going to be the year where somebody sneaks up on Nick Saban and Alabama in a week one and somebody's got a good quarterback like Derek King and they have some returning guys on defense and everybody thinks this might be the one. And then you have the buzzsaw, which is Alabama, winning 44-13 to and uh, Alabama could have named their number. I think if they wanted 60 in this game, they could have gotten 60. If they wanted 70, I think they could have kept their foot on the gas and, and got that as well. So I don't know why we question these things with Alabama each and every year. Um, we did it when they were playing. It was like one versus three versus Florida State to open up the 2017 campaign. We thought that they might have a chance then. But if you're playing Alabama in week one, I'm sorry. It's, it's going to be a tough win. And Takeaways, um, an Alabama defense is as advertised. Bryce Young is as advertised, 344 yards, four touchdowns. The guy puts up a QBR of almost 97 in that game. Looked really, really good. I didn't think his offensive line held up that well early on. He was facing a little bit of pressure, and he showed you a a veteran-level pocket presence to move left, move right. And you saw that he can throw on the run. Now, his first throw of the game was a horrible throw, be the worst throw that you see from Bryce Young probably throughout his career. Missed Jamison Williams by about 15 yards. But Bryce Young looked as uh, as good as any Alabama quarterback has looked uh, in the last five or six years. High praise for him. And Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, comes in, makes an immediate impact, and adds a lot of versatility to that receiver room as some of those young guys like JoJo Earl and Ja'Cory Brooks um, get their feet underneath them, and I expect them to see them uh, play a little bit more as this season goes along. What's your concern level with the Alabama offensive line that didn't handle the Miami pressure all too well on Saturday? Yeah, I was talking to some guys last night, and I know we talked about it on this show, that if, if Darian Dalcourt was playing center, you could almost expect that, that um, they weren't confident enough in Kendall Randolph's ankle to keep him at right tackle. He played a little bit of tight end in that. I want to think they were trying to see if he could go, like that blocking tight end. But the guy was barely on the field. So um, I think that if, if it's what everybody thinks it is in the coming weeks, you could have Chris Owens um, back on the interior offensive line. I think you may see J.C. Latham get some major right tackle reps this week playing Mercer. And I thought, I thought Cohen struggled a little bit in his first start, but I think Miami quickly realized in that game that they weren't going to be able to win with Bryce Young standing in the pocket. So as that game went on, man, they were bringing seven. They were seven on five, seven on six a lot of times if Alabama was leaving the back end. And you guys know, 
And an offensive lineman, it's tough to double team somebody. It's tough to, if, you know, chop two guys on the same play. Uh, I think that they'll gel together. It's an offensive line that hasn't played a lot of reps together when you talk about Cohen and Chris Owens and in the right tackle. But I think Chris Owens is going to do fine. I thought Darian Dalcourt held up well. And I thought that they, uh, I thought Miami targeted Javi and Cohen a little bit, but he'll get his feet underneath him uh, as the season goes along. But they got to get it figured out quickly. I mean, it's this week, and then it's on the road at Florida, who has SEC athletes just like everybody else in this conference. So they're going to have to get that straightened out up front. But I have confidence in them as as the games go by and as the reps go by, they'll get better. I want to preface this by saying it's only week one, right? Like we have such a small sample size, it's hard to really gauge where every team is at in the SEC. But after seeing what happened, specifically in the SEC West over the course of the week, uh, have you maybe changed your mind on Texas A&M being the most difficult game left on Alabama's schedule, or is there another team you're looking at now? I don't know, guys. I, I looked at Ole Miss, and yeah, they looked crisp on offense. They're also playing a one di- and and on defense, playing a team that's not very good. They have a one-dimensional quarterback. They Louisville couldn't throw the ball at all. They couldn't run the ball at all. The Ole Miss defense looked good, but how much stock do you put into that? Texas A&M's quarterback goes out and throws three picks against Lamar. Maybe was it Lamar? Kent State. I mean, they they blow him out on the scoreboard, but he throws three picks in that in that game against uh, their opponent. And so I mean, Texas A&M, they're going to have some things to figure out. I tell you, definitely at LSU. Um, it might be Auburn. I don't know. Florida, you don't know. I mean, we're going to figure it out. But right now I'd keep Texas A&M right there just because of their defense. I think their defense is, is going to be really good. They have weapons on offense. They just got to get the thing figured out at the quarterback position. And you guys know if you don't have the guy quarterback, um, it's going uh, to be a long season. That's kind of been the problem with Texas A&M the last few years. While Kellen Mond was good, he wasn't really good enough to win the biggest games throughout his career, and they're going to have to get that position figured out. Speaking with Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net here on On the Line with us for the Wednesday edition of the show. Jeremy switching to the defensive side of the football. Nick Saban announced on Tuesday, I believe, or Monday, that Alabama outside linebacker Christopher Allen is likely out for the remainder of the season with a fractured foot. How does this affect the defense? Uh, You never want to see a guy get hurt, but if a position group was going to get hit with one injury – you probably go with the deepest group on the defense at linebacker. Yeah, if it's not middle linebacker for Alabama, um, you would take out. I mean, because I don't know if how much how deep Alabama is at middle linebacker, but that outside linebacker spot and Chris Allen, man, what a what a story! The guy get he's been banged up, banged up, banged up, and has a dominant year last year, and he is absolutely dominating Miami. Um, as a bookend across from Will Anderson, and listen, the guy breaks his foot. I mean, not a knee injury, not one of those ligament tears, just breaks his foot, and you hate it for him, but you have Drew Sanders. You also saw Chris Braswell. And Drew Sanders, man, he I think he has an extra dimension. He drops back in coverage. They like his side-to-side movement. They like how fast his first step is off the edge. I don't think he's as strong as Chris Allen yet, but they really like Drew. And then you start talking about a five-star defensive end in Dallas Turner who was one of the best players in on all the recruiting services last year, true freshman, he's going to have a chance to play now. So if you were going to have an injury, you'd probably take it at that position where you have a lot of depth. And you still know that on the other side of that defensive line, that they're going to be they, – teams have to double-team Will Anderson, and he's still going to have just a massive amount of production. Best defensive end in college football, best pass rusher in college football. 
Um, man, and the guy leaves the team in tackles, missed a couple of sacks, still got a sack. But Nick Saban talks about affecting the quarterback, and Will Anderson did it um, the entirety of the game when he was on the field. So I think if Alabama could survive an injury, it would be right there with Chris Allen. You just hate, it, hate to see it to, to a guy that's worked his butt off to, uh, in rehabs and to get on the field. What were some of your other impressions from the first weekend in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, I thought Auburn, they got with the, with the times in college football. Their, their offense looks like it's an offense um, that, that all, the, all the big boys are running. So I expect a lot of things out of them. They use the tight end. Ed Orgeron, I mean, he might be fired at the end of this year. I don't think this season is going to go very well for him. He's got to play Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss. Texas A&M, and you might say that all those are losses for LSU. And I know UCLA is much improved. It's got to play Kentucky, Jeremy. They, okay, Kentucky. I didn't even mention any of their East opponents. <laughs> they got to play Kentucky. That's going to be tough. I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. That Kentucky game for them is not a chalk-up LSU win. But, I mean, how many players on UCLA's roster could go start at LSU right now are supposed to? You know, how many would you take? Maybe one, two? with the amount of talent that is on that LSU roster from a recruiting standpoint, from a big-name standpoint. And they go out there and <clears throat> they get beat. I mean, it, it was close for a little bit. It was still a second-half type of game, but they got beat by a Pac-12 team that's playing with USC and Oregon's scraps, to be honest. Those are guys that, you know, that probably didn't get the big boy offers in that conference and they're at UCLA, and they beat the national champion from two years ago. I think Ed Orgeron's in a lot of trouble I think Georgia has a phony offense, a horrible offensive line. They don't have anybody to throw the ball to right now. JT Daniels, uh, I mean, come on. It's it's 2021. You can put up three points on offense. Those are two good defenses playing. But the game is set up for you to score points. I mean, this whole college football landscape, all the rules, everything in this game is set up for you to score points, and neither of those teams can get up and down the field. I don't know about the Georgia Bulldogs. Still the best team in the East, but – I'm not sure if they play any other big games that their defense is just going to be able to keep them in those games the way that it did against Clemson. Because, I mean, and even D.J. Oliagalele, I mean, abysmal performance. 170 yards, QBR under 50. Man, he's the face of the college football playoff, Dr. Pepper commercials. Man, it was a, cra- it was a crazy first week. Jeremy, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you. Yeah, you can find our stuff on RadioAlabamaSports.net. I know Noah's producing most of the content there. He does a great job. Love listening to you guys' show, man. Y'all take care for the rest of the day. You too, man. Stay dry out there. The rains are coming. That was Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net with us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, talking a little Alabama Crimson Tide football with us. When we come back, we will take a look at our On the Line poll, the first edition of the On The Line Top 25, Paul. We'll be back in just a few moments. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach out to us on the show today. If you've missed any of the show so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast we've had a fun show so far today we talked for the first 30 minutes about the Alabama State matchup coming up this weekend gave a scouting report on the Alabama State Hornets so if you're curious about what is going to be ran on the other side of the ball from the team from Montgomery 
or what players to watch out for what's Alabama State do well what do they not do well at least compared to other FCS schools we have all that for you in the first hour here if you missed any of the show once again go and find it on demand on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify Stitcher and iHeartRadio just wrapped up a conversation with Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net and now we are going to debut a weekly segment or something that we'll do every week and it's called the on the line top 25 poll there were three voters pretty much everybody in this studio voted we put together a poll and averaged it out and bang we've got something to give you so this is as a group our on the line top 25 poll i'm not going to reveal the whole thing in this segment you got to stay with us all the way through to get all of our thoughts on this but i will reveal the top five right here one alabama two georgia three ohio state four oklahoma and five clemson gonna welcome in intern sting who also happened to vote in the poll here and my question to you gentlemen how far is clemson from looking keyword there is looking like a top four team the duh answer to this is obviously they're number five it's not how far away are they from the top four it's they don't look anything remotely close at this moment as we heard from jeremy law from being a playoff team at this point yeah and I would I would say that not only does Clemson not look like a playoff team I would say that there's a lot of teams like within the top 10 like normally you would think like there would be like a lot of like contention between some of these teams ranked like 5 through 10 right but you look at up and down this 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 list and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of teams including Clemson that look like playoff teams right now I would even argue that Oklahoma winning by five points at home against Tulane is not playoff caliber so it's it's it, it, I think when you look at a team like Clemson they're they're all they're they're a ways away right that offense is not very good and I don't want people to to misconstrue what I'm saying it's week one a lot of teams are far away from looking playoff caliber right it's only one week that's why I asked this question how far away is Clemson from that finished product from needing to be at at a a certain spot to be able to get into the playoff because you and I discussed this at length yesterday I think Clemson's in a situation right now where they have real pressure each and every week in their own division. NC State, Boston College, Syracuse, Pittsburgh. You could see them get upset by anyone with the way that that offense played on Saturday against Georgia. Sting, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think what's separating Clemson from the other four teams ahead of them is just having an offense. DJ Uyagalele has got to improve and find a way to score touchdowns, and they couldn't do that against Georgia. And I think... That has something to do with Georgia's defense being very, very good. And I don't think they'll face a defense of that caliber for a while again. But the problem is when they do run into that, how do they play? Can they score? Yeah, right. And that's kind of what I was sitting here thinking. is like, well, obviously, I think there's opportunity for them to get upset based on the way that they're playing. But if we're just looking at, like, if they're favored or not in their schedule, I don't know if we're going to be able to tell whether or not they're a playoff team until they get to, like, their title game and they play, like, a legitimate contender. Because you look up and down that schedule, they would have to get upset. It's not like they're going to run into a team that's going to beat them. So when you ask the question, how far away are we from seeing Clemson develop into a playoff team, I don't know if we're going to be able to see them truly on a stage where they could they could play well and us go, that was a worthy opponent. This is a playoff caliber team. Even though I agree with you, I don't think they're I don't think they're a great football team, at least not right now, and there is opportunity for them to get upset down the road. Ungalele is better than Kelly Bryant. 
but I think he is much closer and this Clemson team is much closer to that of the 2017 Clemson team than it is to any of the Trevor Lawrence led Clemson football teams those teams could move the ball at will on pretty much anybody that they wanted to they were able to score the offense was not going to lose you football games if they were going to lose it was because they they got outgunned it was because somebody came out there and scored on their defense the script has flipped a little bit now to where the offense maybe is where your concerns are at not maybe it is where your concerns are at whereas your defense you know is very talented you know is very good and is going to limit a lot of what these ACC teams are going to be able to do against them that's why I agree with the Lance here I don't think we're going to know until you get to the title game which maybe they have things figured out by that point but when I compare Clemson to North Carolina to Miami to Virginia Tech the teams right now that I think you would say are the biggest contenders at the moment to Clemson NC State wants to get into that conversation they were close to getting ranked this week in the AP top 25 poll if those teams can move their offenses to a point where they can you know score 24 28 points and you catch Clemson on a bad day you all of a sudden change the entire nature of the ACC conference and their hopes for a playoff spot this year. Clemson is one loss away from the ACC not having a playoff team. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you look at the ACC, you look around college football, man, and again, there were just so many conferences that just did not impress. And like, I think it's fair to ask the question, not just about Clemson, but about some of these other teams and some of these other conferences. You know, How far away are they from getting a college football playoff caliber team out there at the end of the year it's again I know it's week one it's really it's not fair to overreact but after seeing the way some of these teams prepared after one week having after having eight months of an offseason to get ready for some of these games just did not look polished moving through the rest of the top 10 with our on the line top 25 poll these are our rankings put together by the show of course the top five was one Alabama two Georgia three Ohio State four Oklahoma five Clemson now moving beyond that six Cincinnati seven Texas A&M eight Iowa nine Iowa State and ten Notre Dame Cincinnati's the team that I want to focus on right here for pretty much the remainder of this segment Cincinnati versus Clemson right here right now who would win that ball game if we got to see it week two I think I, I think, think Cincinnati wins. I think Cincinnati yeah. I think wins. right now Cincinnati wins yeah yeah Ritter is a better quarterback than DJ is right now and the defense at Cincinnati as we saw in the bowl game last year against Georgia is capable of playing great defense against a good great football team yeah I think Cincinnati wins a close game but yeah I would I would take Cincinnati in that game if we were if we were to see that matchup this week so Cincinnati gets put at sixth in our rankings in the AP poll. Aren't they seventh? I believe they're seventh in the AP poll. Lance, can you check on that real quick for me? Say uh, one more time. Cincinnati, where are they at in the AP poll? I believe. I think they're at seven. They're seven. I believe they're yeah. at seven, but I'll let me let me go. Check Maybe on. Notre Dame's at seven and they're at eight. They are at seven. Yes. I don't think Cincinnati, and of course, folks aren't going to move them above seven in the AP poll. And that's why they end up at six and ours because we weren't able to move them past Clemson. We, d- we just didn't feel comfortable moving Clemson outside the top five. But and, and I still think Clemson is a top five football team in the country. It, it is just one week. Clemson could come out and decimate the rest of the ACC schedule. I'm not writing off Clemson after week one. That would be ridiculous. I'm just saying that there's a ton of pressure on them moving forward, maybe more so than they've had on any other Dabo Sweeney coach team since they won a national championship in 2015 right like there is real pressure here on this Clemson team in comparison to 
what they've become as this juggernaut in college football this year they're dealing with something there on their schedule but Cincinnati dominated Miami Ohio looked like one of the few teams in college football that actually performed really well had a near flawless type of performance and uh, I'm curious how long it is for them to actually get some respect that's it for hour number one of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We'll keep talking about our On the Line Top 25 poll into hour number two, as well as we'll get to our Making Headlines segment. Some stuff going on at the SEC. Nick Saban dealing with some injuries, as well as Georgia dealing with a bit of a COVID spike. Got some things coming up here in hour number two that you don't want to miss. You are On the Line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind in the sports world, come and talk to us. Auburn-related, SEC, beyond all of college football. We're having a fun show today talking about what's going on in the college football universe. At Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us in hour number one. If you missed any of the show today, go and find our podcast on demand. Also, go and find all the content the show's putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Find us there at Radio AL Sports. That's RadioAlabamaSports.net. All right, guys, starting off hour number two, as we do every day with our Making Headlines segment. And Lance, as of about 20 minutes ago, there is some news. Yeah, so according to Justin Williams of The Athletic, and you can find him on Twitter at Williams underscore Justin, the University of Cincinnati has officially submitted its application for membership to the Big 12. Sources confirmed uh, to The Athletic, again, just about half an hour ago, the Big 12 is expected to announce uh, or t- uh, yeah, expected to announce uh, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU joining later this week. Do we know when the timetable is for them to actually enter into the league and begin to play? No, but from what I saw last week, wasn't it 2023? What was yeah. being thrown around? Yeah, so I would assume I would assume 2023. And the big thing about that was everybody was like, "Well, they're going to get to play with Oklahoma and Texas, and that's going to be really fun for like two years, and then the league's going to fall apart." And I'm like, "Are we so sure that Oklahoma and Texas are going to ride it out?" Till no. 2025 no if they're if they're planning on 2023 texas and oklahoma may say well we're gonna go ahead and take our bags and leave then we're just gonna go ahead and join the sec and i don't, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't right this I, is maybe. exactly what i said back in the summer guys and y'all scoffed at me but look at what the big 12's doing fighting to stay alive fighting yeah we said i i think it was a fill in the blank friday and i was like it's going to disintegrate it's going to just completely cease to exist but that was the popular answer among many people that was what everybody believed well i guess we were still going to have well it's a power four and a half now but <laughs> i mean i'm okay with it i'm not mad at it yeah I, I just didn't think it would happen because you you look at the big 12 like 
are they going to be able to survive with UCF and Houston and Cincinnati and BYU and in all of their major sports? Like, will that be enough revenue to replace Texas and Oklahoma? Once again, it all comes down to can they keep the remaining Big 12 institutions inside the conference? Can they do that? If they're able to, then I think the league can survive. I think Oklahoma State, West Virginia, I think UCF does. UCF is a very large university. It's huge. It's got one of the biggest, if not the biggest, student populations in the country. It's a large school. Now, do they bring a ton of TV revenue? No, that's that's the problem. Is Do these programs bring the eyes onto your TV screen for ESPN or CBS or Fox to want to carry your conference and all of your conference's games on their television network? And the Big 12 now is very much so rapidly with the ACC, Big 10, and Pac-12 making an alliance, whatever that is, and and, and creating this scheduling alliance, whatever that is. They're trying to create this block on TV where they not only can have a larger stake in voting decisions in college football, but also they are trying to drive more revenue to their leagues through network television and the Big 12 is not a part of that and so very much so when you talk about power four and a half Big 12 is not going to be a power five conference but that may not be the Big 12's goal here the Big 12 may not be thinking man we got to find a way to keep up with the Joneses no they're just trying to stay up they're just trying to stay together and maybe still even exist as a conference without falling completely apart random question here to you I want to I want to think about grand grand scheme at the end of the day does the big 12 still have a shot at the playoff after adding these teams and losing oklahoma and texas in the future if it's still a four-team playoff so what attracts me to this so much what'd you say sting go for it i don't think so well i think that if you can bring in the best group of five schools into this league why not look you've got west virginia you've got cincinnati you've got ucf you've got byu your conference's footprint ranges now if these schools do end up joining that's assuming that all these schools end up joining your conference's footprint ranges from provo utah all the way to the east coast with west virginia and then into the southeast into orlando florida your your conference's footprint is larger than that of any other conference in college football so why not go and get the best group of five programs out there build this thing up like I said back in the summer get to 14 or 16 teams with the best group of five teams bring in Boise State bring in Coastal Carolina bring in Louisiana Lafayette go and get the programs that you feel like can sustain the success that they have had over the last several seasons and hopefully you can piecemeal together a league of the best group of five schools and then the leftovers of the big 12 and I think if a team comes out of that undefeated, they're going to have a shot at the playoff. Yeah, and if you if you were going to do that, like if you were going to grab all the group of five schools, you could call that the group of five, and then the remaining group of five, the soup of five, because it's the soup and then the actual meat and vegetables that actually the sustenance of the group of five would be leaving, and it, it, w- it would be its own thing. So that was our first headline in Making Headlines. Let's move to our second one here. We talked about this with Jeremy Law. 
Nick Saban says that Alabama outside linebacker Christopher Allen is likely out for the remainder of the season with a fractured foot. And like Jeremy said, if Alabama's going to lose a player, which like you said, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but if they're going to lose a player at a certain position, and it's either middle, middle linebacker or outside linebacker, Christopher Allen is obviously a really talented player and a key part of this defense that's going to be really good this season. But Auburn, or but rather Alabama has replacements at that at that spot, and again, losing Christopher Allen is not the biggest thing at the end of the day because I think that that Alabama can can find a guy that that uh, that will play to his abilities. And if you were going to go across all the linebackers, this may be your fourth guy on that list. Not that he's not very talented; he's very good, as is all of these Alabama linebackers, and you certainly don't want to see anybody get hurt, but. Like you just said, and like Jeremy said, this is the position group that you are deepest at, so if you, it, it hurts the least, I think, at this position group, whereas if you were to suffer an injury on the D-line, that may weaken you enough to where there might be a hole on that D-line for an opposing offense to exploit. If a guy went down in the secondary, now all of a sudden you have two young defensive backs playing back there rather than just one, and a guy like Jalen Armour Davis and then Kool-Aid McKinstry and whatnot, so this was the group that if something was going to happen this would have been where you wanted to see it at if you were Alabama moving on to our third headline Georgia head coach earlier this week Kirby Smart says the Bulldogs are dealing with their quote highest spike of COVID-19 with three or four players out with the virus of course these are breakthrough cases that Kirby Smart was talking about not a not not something big deal that I want to focus on here for a while but something of note the head coach was talking about it and Georgia with all of the injuries that they've been dealing with in the preseason some guys just haven't suited up yet rumors flying around today and then you talk about COVID-19 inside the program there's a lot of moving parts some distractions here early on for Georgia says a lot that they were able to go out there and beat Clemson in what was really a road game I mean that was a lot closer for Clemson than it was for Georgia of course both teams were going to bring their fan bases and show out there in Charlotte North Carolina but really says a lot about Georgia to be able to go there and win a ball game over Clemson with some of these moving parts inside the program if Georgia was going to have issues with COVID at any point during the season now would be the time to do it because you got look UAB. at their, they've got UAB and then you look at their schedule before that Auburn game South Carolina Vanderbilt and Arkansas I mean, if they're going to work out the kinks, let's do it early right now, okay? And as an Auburn fan, I'm not sitting here going like, oh, I want kids to get COVID. I wish it would happen during Auburn's week. But as an Auburn fan, I was like, this is a disadvantage, right? Because if Georgia's working out the kinks now, they're going to be ready for Auburn. But if you're a Georgia fan, you're looking at this and saying, okay, this is not a big deal at the end of the day because this is the best time for for issues to happen between this four-game stretch with UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. Fourth headline now, UConn head coach. We talked about this earlier in the week, but it was in a different light. UConn head coach Randy Edsel a few days ago did step down immediately, announced that he was out. You and I said that that was like waving the flag, the white flag, to say that you were going to retire at the end of the season. But a note from the Northeast, Randy Edsel's out. Yeah, and I I think that's the move. I think that's the best thing to do because you don't want to hold that – over your players heads right like you and I said it just takes away from all of their confidence to know that well your coach is going to be stepping out at the end of this year one way or another so how why should I really care about playing for him for him to step out and for a new guy to come in I think that's a good thing to not hold that over your players heads and let a new guy come in and kind of lead this team towards the end of the season and then at the end of the season we can all regroup decide whether or not he's the guy and 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 move forward together as a program whereas I feel like having having uh having him stay 
uh, Edsel, that is, would have would have weighed them down this for the rest of the year. It's a chance for them maybe to try and turn the page a little bit this season. Now they're still stuck this year, and UConn's really not going to improve. There was no easy way out of this because you had a coach that said, I'm out at the end of the year, so you really were already looking ahead to beyond this season. But now that he's gone, you're already looking to beyond this season because you're dealing with a coaching search at the end of the year. Now, this interim head coach coming in for UConn has an opportunity to earn this job and maybe can fire up some momentum inside the program with some wins, can earn himself the head coaching job. Huge opportunity for him. Can't tell you how many times Ed Orseron turned an interim uh, an interim tag into a real opportunity for himself as well, especially with what happened at LSU. So if you want to look at this as an opportunity Maybe this was the right thing to do to get UConn to have a little bit of a fire lit underneath them. Let's move to the baseball diamond. Still keeping up with the race in the NL East. The Atlanta Braves won yesterday over the Washington Nationals 8-5, to whereas the Philadelphia Phillies had their winning streak snapped after losing 10-0 to to the Milwaukee Brewers. Two-and-a-half game lead for the Braves. Stopped the bleeding a little bit after a 4-8 and eight stretch over their last 12 games. And they're going to need to establish establish themselves against the nationals over the course of these next two games you can't lose games to teams that you should beat at this point especially at home we're getting closer and closer towards the end of the season every single game like you said at the beginning of this year every single game on your schedule matters you can't look back and say oh man that that uh that series loss to the nationals towards the end of the season man we really wish we could have had a couple of those wins back you've got to be able to go out there and execute now Today's starting pitcher matchup is Sean Nolan for the Nationals with a 5.71 ERA against Tuki Toussaint with a 4.19 ERA, 3-2 on the year. 17 innings pitched for Nolan and 43 for Toussaint. You got two guys out there that haven't seen a lot of action. The ball might be hopping off the bats tonight for two teams. And you look at the the batting average for the Nationals they're 258 on the year compared to the Braves 242 now it's a whole lot better for the Braves over the last month and a half so I I I don't think that you could totally glean a whole lot from just looking at the stats there and the Braves have done a lot more by virtue of the long ball than the Nationals have as well this season 50 oh, almost 50 more home runs for the Braves this year than the Nationals so the Braves have a little bit more pop in their bat than the Nats. You got two guys out there that definitely can get hit. I think the ball's going to be popping off the bats this evening. It's going to be whoever's offense can can ride it out and win between the Braves and the Nationals. It's a big one, though. Braves need it. Moving on to our last headline now. The United States men's national team finds itself in its third World Cup qualifying match. Tonight, they take on Honduras after drawing their first two against El Salvador and Canada I could not tell you what is going on <laughs> I'm sorry that's okay that's okay and I, I say that as, as some people could say with some real uh disappointment I, I felt that I could not glean anything else from the statement the United States after this past summer is it, it was in a situation to where they could capitalize off of real momentum momentum that they hadn't had since before the last time that they missed the World Cup back in uh, you know, four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. So they they had a real opportunity and then they go out there and they draw two games not looking very not looking very gritty, not looking very sharp. And it's against two teams that 
the United States would have beat if they didn't beat in Gold Cup because they didn't they didn't meet them, but they did play Canada and they did beat them with their C team, right? And then the starters come back and there there's some distractions right now. One of the best players on the team, Weston McKinney, was sent back to his club team because of not keeping up with COVID restrictions. He had a COVID violation with the team, and so it wasn't following the rules. It's like where's this team's headspace at right now? Because you missed the World Cup four years ago. And now you have a chance to get back, and this is supposedly your golden generation, and you draw the first two, and you've only scored one goal through your first two matches. The take on Honduras tonight, if you got Paramount Plus, if you got Telemundo, you can watch them. Uh, I've got a bad feeling about it, but hopefully tomorrow when we come back on Making Headlines, we'll at least have some positive national news for the U.S. soccer team. Yeah, I hope so. And and like you mentioned, I'm not completely oblivious to what was going on. Like you said, they had a real opportunity over the summer to kind of build on what they were doing and to uh, to tie twice and and to kind of for things to die out here is a little bit of a disappointment. They were ranked top 10 in the world going into qualifying. They were ranked top 10 in the world as of last month, which is ridiculous. I don't think that they should have been ranked top 10 in the world, but for them to go and lay an egg like this, this is a major bounce back game. They need it or else they're in danger of falling behind in the standings. You can't lose. A draw makes me grit my teeth, but a win, that 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 will bring back smiles and you can breathe easier if the United States can win tonight against Honduras. But it won't be, it won't be easy. You're going on the road and you're playing. Uh, it's a 9.30 kickoff tonight. You're on the road in Honduras, which will not be easy. It's never easy going on the road to places like Honduras, El Salvador, and whatnot. It's just a totally different vibe than playing on your home pitch or from going to european stadiums like european teams when they go on the road it's it's tougher but it's not as um it's not as jarring because of of how close together those countries are and whatnot but let's take a break here when we come back we will play in on the fence or out and continue to look at our on the line top 25 poll we get back to college football in just a few moments You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. In on the fence or out, we're going back to a previous variation of start, bench, cut. I give you a trio of three teams here. You tell me if you, you tell me in, on the fence, or out for each of these three teams. You can't have multiple ones, so you have to choose here. You may be in on all three of these teams, but I'm going to make you choose between these groups. I, I always purposefully make it all so difficult <laughs> and so it's it, it is truly difficult for me and this week i, I think we've got uh, some difficult ones i think there are others that maybe you and i probably will think the same on but let's get into it in on the fence or out and we're going to keep it parked inside the top five in college football ohio state oklahoma and clemson i'm in on oklahoma i'm on the fence on clemson and i'm out on ohio state really yes really yes 
Take me through why. So Oklahoma, I believe, even though their defense looked terrible, I still really like that offense. Clemson, you look at you look at all the talent they have up and down the board. I believe, like like we talked about in the first hour, there's opportunity for them to get upset through the season, but they're going to have to be upset. And I think it's more likely between Clemson and Ohio State that Ohio State gets upset because we've seen it happen as well as Clemson, but we've seen it happen with Ohio State in the past. I just don't like this Ohio State team with C.J. Stroud. I don't know how far he can take them. Same with D.J. I don't like either of these squads that much, but if I had to rank them like in terms of like who I'm on the fence on and who I'm out on, I'm, I'll say I'm on the fence on Clemson. I'm out on Ohio State. If you said you were out on Clemson, I would not be mad at it. Well, then you're going to be mad at me because the easy thing for me to say here is I am in on Ohio State. That's the easiest one for me to say of this group. My reasoning for that is, although C.J. Stroud struggled in the first half against Minnesota, and I still don't think that he is anywhere near Braxton Miller, J.T. Barrett, or, you know, uh, I don't know why I'm drawing him, like uh, Cardell Jones Jones and and then Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins. I think he's probably closest in terms of his struggling right out the gates to maybe what we saw in the second full year, the first full year, I should say, for Cardell Jones but I trust Ryan Day with these skill position players on offense with that offensive line with his receivers Chris Olave Garrett Wilson he was able to engineer things against that Minnesota defense and I don't think that Ohio State is going to face really too many defenses that are much tougher than Minnesota I I don't think that they are I, I don't I don't think that Penn State's that much tougher of a defensive team than Minnesota. I don't think that Wisconsin's really that much further ahead, not to the point where it would cause Ohio State to lose because Penn State and Wisconsin have issues on the offensive side of the ball that I think very much so Ohio State would be able to shut down. So I don't think that Ohio State is going to run into, after watching this first week, I don't think Ohio State is going to run into too much opposition to the Big Ten. Now, maybe they lay an egg at some point, I know they got pushed around at times in the ground game by Minnesota. Still were able to hold them to less than four yards per carry, though. At the end of the day, there may have been some of those instances, but I trust Ryan Day and what he's going to be able to do in bringing, in, uh, in bringing Stroud on as a quarterback with these skill position players around him. I don't think this offense is really going to be an issue as the year progresses. I just, I just don't trust either of these squads. Right? I don't trust any of these teams. But I'm going in on Ohio State. <laughs> I will. I don't. I I don't feel comfortable saying that Ohio State is going to make it out of this the regular season undefeated, as opposed to Clemson, who I feel like just has a little bit of an easier schedule. It, it, when you look at both of these That's conferences, true. and I and I agree with you, I, I I don't like what the Big Ten has to offer in terms of who Ohio State's playing. I also don't like what the ACC has to offer in terms of what Clemson's playing. So again, I don't really feel comfortable picking either of these squads to to make it out. But if I had to choose a team to lose, Ohio State, I just don't with a with with a freshman quarterback or a sophomore quarterback at this point. But he's still so young. I just don't know if they're going to be able to get it done as opposed to Clemson. Now, the team, this is where I'm really struggling with my list here of which team I'm out on and which team I'm on the fence with between Clemson and Oklahoma. But because, in all honesty, and for the sake of the game here, I have to choose, but I'm not writing either of these teams off. I don't want people to misconstrue that. Once again, it's the it's the rules of the game. Them the rules, okay? I got to choose one of these teams to be on the fence with and one of these teams to be out on. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind which team I am closer to being out on 
And I think I am closer to being out on Clemson than I am on Oklahoma at the at this point. The Oklahoma defense did not look good against Tulane. How much is it really going to improve? I don't know. But the difference is Oklahoma won week one. They can lose a game in the Big 12, still get into the college football playoff. Clemson loses a game in the ACC, loses their title game, they're out. So right now, the pressure that is put on this Clemson football team is a lot greater than the pressure that is on the Oklahoma football team. I think the the, the Sooners last year learned a lot from their two losses that they suffered early in the season. Those back-to-back losses, we all wondered if it was going to be a three-game losing streak. It didn't happen. They learned a lot from it. It was week one for OU. I want to see how this team gets better. Now, sure, they'll probably lose a game in the regular season because of that defense, but one loss for them does not nullify them, whereas I could see Clemson losing another game this year due to poor offensive play. I'm just having flashbacks to Kelly Bryant Clemson when I watch DJ Uyaga Lele in that orange and purple uniform. And so that's my issue. And like you said, like all of these teams have their issues, right? At least it seems like they do after week one. And they're going to work. These teams are going to work things out. But as of right now, man, I don't feel comfortable about any of these squads. No, not in terms of being able to win a national championship. Now, you got to feel comfortable in these schools to be able to make a playoff, right? Right. Like you got to feel confident that Oklahoma and Ohio State, like two of these three teams will make the playoff probably. But, it, it, the, you know, you could have a second SEC team get in with Georgia with the fact that they beat Clemson. That's how things shook up in week one. And Let's move to a – go ahead. That That's maybe why I feel the way that I feel about Oklahoma because, like you said, uh, they can sustain a loss in the regular season and make the Big 12 title game and win it as they've done for, what, eight years in a row now? And and then make the college football playoff. So maybe that's why I have them as, as my team that I'm in on potentially because at the at the end of the day I think they've still got a shot to do it whereas with Clemson like if they lose then they're they're officially out and with Ohio State I just don't trust them to to finish the regular season undefeated and then I have question marks of whether or not they'd be able to win a uh, championship game with with Stroud as, as the quarterback let's move to another trio here Florida Oregon Texas mm, this one's tough I'm going to say I am in on Florida I'll say I'm in on Florida, I'm on the fence on Texas, and I'm out on Oregon. I'm out on Oregon as well. The Pac-12, although it has the second most teams ranked in this week's top 25, they're the only Power 5 conference to not have a team ranked inside the top 10. I think there's just a lot of good, not great, just kind of good, above-average football teams in the Pac-12. And then when you get to the midway point of the league, there's a cliff and Mountain West schools pushed the rest of the Pac-12 off of it. <laughs> they, they pushed them off of the Mountain West, and that's why you saw Utah State beat Washington State. Nevada beat Cal. Yeah, Nevada beat Cal, and then uh, BYU beat Arizona, right? And you get the Holy War this week, BYU-Utah, you know? Like, is another Pac-12 school get thrown off the cliff into the ocean, right? Like, when, you, when you're looking at BYU and Utah play, because Utah wasn't overly impressive against Weber State. So I'm definitely out on Oregon. 31-24 on Fresno State. Didn't feel great about them. Quarterback plays the main concern that I have with the Ducks. Anthony Brown is not as good as previous quarterbacks that we have seen don the neon colors in Eugene now the other two I'm in on Texas not on Florida I want to see more out of that offense I think there's a quarterback controversy brewing in Gainesville between Richardson and Emory Jones I don't think either of them fully showcased 
immense arm talent against Florida Atlantic, a 35 to 14 win in the post game interview that Cole Kubelik had with Emory Jones. Emory Jones was not happy with the way that that offense performed, the way that the team performed after the first quarter. Not totally sold on Florida, whereas there are some other Eastern teams that maybe I'm hot on at the moment, like Kentucky, looked really good week one. And then I like Texas. They beat a good football team this week. <laughs> maybe we should talk about that a little bit more, though, when we come back, as well as the on-the-line top 25 poll. We'll be back in just a moment. Thirty minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Thirty minutes out until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pegg following us here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports, as well as on Instagram and Twitter. Go and find us on Fox Sports 983, foxsports983.com. That's Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 fm going back to our last trio of in on the fence or out and we can continue playing this tomorrow as well because i've got some other trios that i want to get to but going back to florida oregon texas specifically i want to center in on the debate here between texas and florida what was your perception of the florida offense against florida atlantic i think if they go with anthony richardson they're going to score a lot of points i saw we, we talked about this briefly during the break i saw dak prescott and anthony richardson I think he's going to be a special player in the SEC at some point one day, one day if they choose to ride it out with him. Emory Jones, it was a question that you and I had, Noah, dur- during the offseason. Is he going to be able to take a step forward as a passer, or is he just going to kind of be meh? even though we saw some pretty good numbers from him as a backup. It was very similar, like, is this going to be like a Jeremy Johnson type situation? But obviously without all the hype, after seeing him after week one, I think you've got to start splitting time at quarterback with Anthony Richardson coming in and maybe running the ball some. I really like this Florida offense if they go with him. So in my mind, I think if they go with him, then Florida is definitely the team I'm taking because I don't trust Texas to make it out of a season. But at the same time, though, Texas beat a really good week one opponent, something they've not done in the past few years. I think you have to adjust the expectation scope for these two teams, though. Like I'm looking at which team do I feel more comfortable at to like in texas's case get to nine or ten wins florida get to nine or ten wins and i think i'm i'm in on texas so because i know that there's less competition in the big 12 i saw this texas football team go out against louisiana lafayette limit mistakes their quarterback was efficient and hudson card threw the ball well ran the ball well they played good defense they didn't take them for granted they went out there they won their first football game of the season and they did a lot of things well and they're just going to get better over time the offense is going to be fleshed out more and more as the year goes on Steve Sarkeesian has been a good head coach at previous locations such as Washington things started out okay at USC and then we all know what happened so I, I, I like Texas at this point not that Dan Mullen doesn't have the track record of getting the most out of his quarterbacks doesn't have a good track record of being a coach at Florida an even better track record of being a head coach at Florida than Steve Sarkeesian had at, at his stops out west but what I'm on the fence with Florida about at this point is is there a passing game because Emory Jones was 17 for 27 for 113 yards 4.2 yards per attempt a touchdown and two picks and Anthony Richardson was three for eight for 40 yards and five yards per attempt no touchdowns no picks I I I don't know if there's any evidence and I said this during the offseason to you and there we put up a graphic about it with Emory Jones was I don't think we have enough of a sample size yet 
to know if this guy can deliver the football if we know that this guy can run an offense as a quarterback and make the throws that he needs to to beat the good teams in the SEC I don't think we know that about either of these guys but after week one I'm less confident in Emory Jones now here's here's what I'm looking at right if they go with Richardson or if, even if they stick with with Emory Jones and let him run the ball I don't know if they need to have even a, a, a good passing game to succeed with the rest of their schedule you get USF this week right that should be a win you go and you lose to Alabama in week three that's probably going to happen you bad get, you get Tennessee at home you get to play Kentucky that's a 50-50 matchup Vanderbilt at LSU with the way that they played against UCLA and the way that they allowed UCLA to run the ball, I'd feel comfortable taking Florida Florida to win in that game. You play Georgia, that's probably a loss. South Carolina, Sanford, Missouri, and Florida State to wrap up the season. I mean, it's it's I think they've got an opportunity with Dan Mullen with his track record with quarterbacks to to figure it out some way and if they go with a dominant running game as opposed to last year, oddly enough, with a dominant passing game, I think they can get nine potentially 10 wins if they beat kentucky let's go back to the on the line poll our top 25 poll that we've willed out voted on by us here in the studio we averaged it out and we've gone through our top 10 so far for the rest of the show we will rank out 10 through 25 we'll give you the top 10 again right here but this is our on the line top 25 poll going into week two here one through 10 we've got alabama number two georgia three ohio state four oklahoma five clemson six cincinnati Seven, Texas A&M. Eight, Iowa. Nine, Iowa State. And ten, Notre Dame. Moving out of that group now to the next five here. We'll go 11, Florida. 12, Oregon. 13, Texas. 14, Penn State. And 15, UCLA. Question to you, Lance. Which team on the cusp of being a top 10 team here? So this next group of teams that I mentioned, 11 through 15, 11 Florida, 12 Oregon, 13 Texas, 14 Penn State, 15 UCLA. You have to choose from that group. Which of these teams that are on the cusp of being a top 10 team this week will we view as a top 10 team next week? Let's see. Well, I I would love to know who some of these teams are playing. So Oregon obviously is playing Ohio State. Florida's playing USF. Florida's playing USF. I could definitely see Florida getting into the top 10 if they have a really good showing against USF. Texas. Arkansas. Is playing Arkansas. They could move up as well. Penn State's playing Ball State. They're not going to move up into the top 10 unless unless AP voters are just really gearing up for a good matchup against Auburn next week, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I have no idea who UCLA is playing this week. But yeah, I would say Florida and Texas have the best the best opportunity to, to, uh, to move up in, into the top 10. I would agree with that. Of course, you look inside the top 10, Iowa or Iowa State is falling out. Yep. Those guys, they're going. I think Texas A&M has a pretty good shot to lose on the road in Boulder, Colorado against the Colorado Buffaloes, in case you were wondering if it was Colorado or Colorado State. So I think A&M has a chance to lose there. There could be two teams out of the top 10. So there might be two available spots after this week. Who's Notre Dame playing this week? I don't think it's anybody of... See, this used to be Notre Dame-Michigan. I'm so sad that that's, that that's not what we're looking at this week. Yeah, let me let me pull it up real quick. But yeah, uh, I'm really excited about that Ohio State-Oregon matchup. I'd love to see Oregon win that game and get into the top top 10 i doubt it's going to happen notre dame plays toledo at 130 this Woo! saturday yay. <laughs> yay and they'll win like a 30 to to 30 to 17 matchup and it'll be like 17 to 20 heading into the fourth quarter 
You hate that team so much. Man, I don't like them. <laughs> I can't get over this whole Texas A&M is going to lose to Colorado take that you Why? just dropped here. I, I think that's crazy. How? I mean, well, I mean. Do you like quarterbacks that throw interceptions every no, nine I pass don't. attempts? I just, I just don't think that Colorado is a very good football team. I don't think Texas A&M is a very good football team. I think, Texas I, think that I think they're above average, but I, I don't think that they're exceptional or anything like that. I'm just sitting over here in the corner molding about Notre Dame. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. Who's, who's Colorado's got a solid ground game. A, &M a very gave solid up, ground game. And A and M gave up five yards per carry against Kent State. Okay, this isn't a flash. This is a Buffalo. Get ready for the stampede. <laughs> I want to take Colorado to win this game, and we'll give our picks later in the week. But it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun matchup for sure. I'll say that. I'll Can say you believe that. this? The line is set at seventeen in favor of A and M. Mm. That, now, that does feel a little high. Even I will say if that. they don't win, all right, Colorado's covering. This is not going to be a blowout. Well, Sting's taking them to cover. So yeah, I didn't. That, <laughs> he that, is that from is the state of Texas. I'm not sure if Texas him could really lose to Colorado, but I I definitely don't think they can cover that spread if they do win. If you had to choose a team from Texas to pull for, who would it be? It traditionally has been the Longhorns. Really? You're in A&M territory from where you were from. Yeah, I just had so many friends growing up that were Longhorn fans. Wait, I, did you grow up close to Houston or Dallas? Houston. Okay, yeah, so you were in A&M yeah, territory. Yeah, which is A&M territory, yeah, for sure. I just had so many friends growing up that rooted for Texas that I kind of rooted for Texas with them. At this point, I kind of just enjoy seeing them be bad continuously. I would probably say my favorite one is TCU. Okay. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Who is number 26 in the AP poll there? And you could have ranked them this week. I we didn't. I thought about it, but I they played some nobody. So There's things matchup-wise that intrigues me about the A&M Colorado game. I'm saying they could lose. I didn't say they would lose. I, I just said they could lose. I, I, I don't, and I was saying that during the offseason. Hey, if Haynes King turns the ball over against Kent State, what tells you that he won't do it going to the altitude? He's, he's going to let it fly. There's no, And then their backup quarterback had one pass attempt, and he threw a pick. So Four you're, interceptions. You're comfortable saying now that, that Colorado will cover? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Now, do I think Colorado's a, a great Pac-12 team? No. Do I think that they could go to a bowl game this year? Yes. I think they could win six games. I, they, I don't think that they're one of those teams that's necessarily going to get like pushed off the cliff like Washington State did this past week to Utah State. You know, at least Colorado won. I know they played Northern Colorado, but they won, and they did it convincingly. So I, I wouldn't be shocked. This is a chance for Colorado to make a statement. Maybe they're spurred on, motivated a little bit by UCLA beating LSU. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe all these Pac-12 schools are like, hey, UCLA did it. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all get pushed off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, here comes Nevada. Here comes uh, San Diego State. Yeah who really probably would not be that bad of a Pac-12 school. Yeah, Let's honestly. just be honest. Yeah, for yeah. real. Moving on here in our top 25 poll, getting outside of that top 15 there. 16 USC, 17 Coastal Carolina, 18 Ole Miss, 19 Wisconsin, 20 Auburn. This is our rankings, obviously not the AP top 25. We put together three of our rankings, averaged it together. Auburn ends up at 20. You had them higher than we did a couple of spots Sell us on it, Lance. Auburn should have been ranked to begin the season, and they were one of the only teams in the SEC to actually look good across all of college football. This I man's think, speaking truth. I think top 20 is, is reasonable. 
18, maybe a little. If you if you have them somewhere, if you have them in the top 25, I'm happy. But 18 is where I put them. I had them at 21, and my reasoning for that was I like them more than Utah out the gates. I like them more than Miami, North Carolina at this point, and Arizona State. And so I was comfortable. I ranked my teams based off, all right, do I think this team is better than these teams, right? I didn't, I didn't give any credence to what the top 25 polls said this week. I was like, look, who do I think is better than and I ranked it out that way because that's the way it should be done. Just because a team won or lost doesn't mean that they should drop by lead or fly like a hot air balloon up in the rankings. There's tends to be a propensity to do that, but I think people just need to rank it how you think they are. Which is why Notre Dame initially was not in my top 25, and I had Mackenzie Milton, just the player himself, at number 23, and you had to call me in and we had to talk things <laughs> I mean, this out. is the nonstop hate Notre Dame hey, channel look, over here. They'll make a bowl, all right? They'll 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 be okay. The fact that <laughs> they'll you, make a bowl. The like, fact, like, he, like we think he wasn't saying the that they 25. could make it. No, it's like I'm, I'm not sitting over here saying they're going to go 0-12. I mean, they're still ranked 10 in our poll, but like, I don't know, man. I, we'll, we'll see how they do. We'll see. How they do. <laughs> uh, this is awesome. I think I think nine and three is probably what we're looking at. With I don't think they're a ten win team. I think that that streak gets snapped a little bit. But I think that they're an eight or nine win team. I don't, I don't think I'm like over here t- contemplating. Will they make a bowl game or not? <laughs> I think they. I go love it though. It's entertaining. Seven or eight wins is fair for me in my mind. All Moving right. past twenty, let's go twenty-one through twenty-five. Utah at twenty-one, Virginia Tech at twenty-two, Miami at twenty-three, North Carolina at twenty-four, and Arizona State at twenty-five. So there's our entire rankings, what we put together, what we believe, and how we would order these teams out. My last question here before we go to break: How do you view the Pac-12 after Week One? Half the league once again pushed off a cliff by the Mountain West. Not very good top half of the league though somehow after finishing six and six last week you have five pac 12 teams ranked that's second most out of any other conference here and they lost a team last week to an fcs squad washington lost to montana right they still have the second most teams ranked out of all power five leagues note though they are the only power five conference that does not have a team ranked as other top 10 so what is y'all's viewpoint on the pac 12 at this point after week one well like you said not very good it's not a very good conference. Now, the two teams at the top in in uh, UCLA and USC potentially, I think, are the guys. They are, are the teams that you're looking at. Maybe, maybe throw in Arizona State there. I mean, they're they're decent opponents, but no Oregon. No, maybe at the end of the season. Sure, right now, sure, I'll throw them in right now. They're they're wor- they're worthy of being like the top four, but everybody outside of them is like like you said you could you could put some teams in the mountain from the mountain west in this conference and they would have better success because we saw we saw the mountain west beat have some success. pac-12 yeah have it's success the so yeah. ah the afterthought that is utah didn't even mention them it was because they didn't look good they didn't look <laughs> yeah. good against weber state and i don't know how 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 far did they beat weber state by 30 yeah but they, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was early on it was a little shaky it was not okay. it, it was not smooth sailing for utah yeah, I, I agree with Lance there. I think a, a good but not great conference. I do think those top five, six teams will end up beating up on each other like they always do, mm-hmm. and probably the Pac-12 champion will probably have two conference losses because that just seems to be the theme, and there is no one clear team that's you know clear cut above the rest. I am intrigued by UCLA. Well, I There's something that. different There's about something. DTR. And that sissy blue shirt. <laughs> There's something different. I will say I'm thankful Auburn didn't play a Pac-12 team to open the season this year because after seeing what else was going on in the conference, like who I did not I would as an Auburn fan I don't want that on my resume saying that we beat that. I would re- much rather beat a, a, a team like Penn State. Yeah, Auburn's gonna 
catch a potentially top 10 Penn State team out of the AP poll after this week is what Penn State was 11 so you might potentially get a top 10 matchup right there for Penn State Auburn or of course Auburn's not gonna be in the top 10 but Auburn will be facing a top 10 opponent that'll be a huge resume booster here's how I view the Pac-12 UCLA you know hold on for a moment right like let's pump the brakes on this group because I find some quality in this league at the halfway point above I think USC is better than what we've been seeing recently from Clay Helton UCLA certainly better I think Oregon can figure some things out I like Utah a lot as you guys all know I think that that's something that could come along a little bit um Arizona State definitely has some potential on offense still dealing with a lot of distractions there are teams in this league that I like we have to keep in mind UCLA looks really good right now but they've gotten to play two football games already they've already gotten to get out there they got some run in back in week zero now granted it was against Hawaii but there's something to be said that you got to go and play a football game where you got to work out the issues whereas we saw all of these other teams for the first time this past week so maybe you know hold you know pump the brakes on the Pac-12 at this point it was just week one let's see what Oregon looks like this week against Ohio State if they get ripped limb from limb well then yeah I mean sure if you get you know pulled apart by a Buckeye then yeah that's probably not a good sign you know like of course Ohio State's great but like if the so-called best team in the Pac-12 gets dominated then they're probably not going to the playoff when it's all said and done but I think that there are some teams of quality here at the top it maybe is a better top half of the league than we've seen the last few years we just got to see these teams put another game on their you know put another game on film yeah I, I would yeah I would agree with that Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Okay, everybody, the results of the second semifinals on America's Got Talent is on NBC at 7 with us finding out which five acts will move on to the finals. Also at 7, but on Fox, Master Chef has a new two-hour episode. Keeping it with food, there's a new episode of Guy's Grocery Games at 8 on Food Network. Some movie selections for tonight. Let me tell you guys, and y'all probably already know this, but Clint Eastwood plays the role of a grouchy old man really, really well. Grand Torino is on AMC at 7. On ESPN 2 at 8, check out an E60 with comeback season examining sports after the September 11th attacks. In live sports, you got U.S. Open tennis on ESPN from 6 to 10 with the quarterfinals concluding at the Grand Slam event. WNBA basketball on ESPN 2 also at 6. Phoenix Mercury at the Atlanta Dream. If you've got Paramount Plus or Telemundo, you can catch tonight's CONCACAF World Cup qualifier match for the U.S. men's national team as they take on Honduras at 9.30 p.m. And that is what's on tv tonight not a great sports lineup tonight no. gentlemen no i'll be watching some colorado film <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was catching some heat in the break for saying that i think colorado could once again keyword put this in quotations could beat texas a&m and i'd say would but and no heat for me because we were looking at their schedule and be like well could they could they make a bowl game and i think you could find six wins on there if, if they if the running attack gets hot if he makes the same, he being Haynes King, if he makes the same mistakes that he did against Kent State, you know, whatever it was, I have that 10 to 3, that Colorado's going to be able to score. 
Like I'm not saying that they're going to score a ton of points on the A&M defense, but Kent State moved the ball, and they did it on the ground. That's not a great indicator. Colorado's a better team than Kent State. There were certain things in that ball game that, like, you're watching, it's like, yeah, if you if you just saw the final score and you didn't watch the game, you're like, oh, they cruised. They didn't cruise against Kent State, and that could be problematic. Granted, it's just week one. Things can work out overnight. This could be a great week of practice for AM, and they could go and storm into Boulder and beat the snot out of them, but there's something to be said. There's a reason why Denver, and guess what? This game's actually, this game isn't being played in, uh, in um, Boulder, Boulder, actually. This is being played in Denver, I think. I yeah. think this is being played in Mile High Stadium, mm-hmm. so there's a there's a reason why playing at the Denver Broncos Stadium is always a huge home field advantage for the Broncos, especially when you are not used to playing at that altitude and you're not used to playing out west. It's a whole different ball game when you're coming from Florida or Louisiana and you're having to go all the way up there to 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 Denver, right? And the same can be said for College Station in in, in Houston. So, Sting, do you have something to add to it? I just thought this is interesting. The last time these two teams played was November seventh, two thousand nine. Colorado beat Texas A and M thirty five to thirty four when they were both still in the Big Twelve. Hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> give I mean, me the wins of PD on this. Well, we've ran out of time. I don't have time. I mean, <laughs> oh, I can't. No. Tomorrow, it, before we get to picks and whatnot, I'm going to make sure I come back with College Station altitude numbers to know what that is in comparison to Denver. This is what and- you came for, folks. <laughs> Hard hitting analysis. That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. The drive with Bill Cameron will be following you from four to six, or following us from four to six p.m. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.